Well, we are in a message series called Rediscover Church, and the title of today's message, just a gripping, thrilling title, Why Are Preaching and Teaching Central? Yeah, that's one of the chapter headings in, uh, in this book, uh, Rediscover Church. Several years ago, in a British publication, there was this letter. Dear Sir, it seems ministers feel their sermons are very important and spent a great deal of time preparing them. I've been attending church quite regularly for 30 years, and I've probably heard 3,000 sermons. To my consternation, I discovered I cannot remember a single sermon. I wonder if a minister's time might be more profitably spent on something else. Well, a number of letters uh, to the editor back and forth over a few weeks, and then this letter sort of summarized it all. Dear Sir, I've been married for 30 years, and during that time I've eaten approximately 32,850 meals, mostly my wife's cooking. And suddenly I've discovered that I cannot remember the exact and precise menu of a single meal. And yet I have the distinct impression that without them I would have starved to death a long time ago. You know, whenever we gather for preaching and teaching, and just think how much preaching and teaching goes on in, in a church. I mean, certainly right here in the big room, but you think so many classes from the oldest to the youngest. My two-year-old granddaughter, Millie, was in a Bible class this morning learning, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And you just think all the times we gather in classes and in groups, sometimes for a lecture, sometimes for a dialogue, but I'm not standing up here, and your Bible class teacher's not standing there just giving you my take, my opinion. If I were to say, I'm just going to give you my thoughts on world matters for 20 minutes or so, you wouldn't be interested in that, and I don't blame you. Preaching and teaching are central only when they are rooted in the sacred scriptures. Here's a quote from the Rediscover Church book. It's on page 58. As we rediscover church, we're looking for divine authority, not merely human wisdom. Here's a photo of a church interior somewhere in the Netherlands. I forget exactly where. But the architecture speaks of their theology. You'll notice the pulpit is elevated, so the preacher is standing over the congregation. But you'll also notice that the architecture lets you know that that preacher is not just giving you the preacher's opinion. There's a covering over the preacher and the cross that reminds that preacher that they are to preach the counsel of God and the whole counsel of God and under the authority of the Lord. And so we preach and teach the Bible. Second Peter chapter 1 says this, Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. In other words, the Bible didn't come out. It's not just some person's opinion. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will. But prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so the Bible claims then this wonderful partnership 
human and divine, to bring us truth. And the, and the Bible, without apology, claims to speak with authority. And by authority, I mean the right to direct your life. Now, you don't have to listen to it. You can ignore it. It's your prerogative. But the Bible claims the right to guide, the right to decide what's true, what's false, what's beautiful, what's ugly, what's right, what's wrong. That's why the Bible is viewed as dangerous in a lot of places because it's not just information. It's information that leads to transformation. So my first major point today is that God uses spirit-anointed teaching as a catalyst in spiritual transformation. He just does. Always has. God uses spirit-anointed teaching as a catalyst in spiritual transformation. You see, when teaching is done, teaching of the Bible, your Bible is not a dead book. It says of itself, it's living and active. It's the sword of the Spirit, and it's working on you in living ways where there is receptivity. Here's an important question. How do you determine your values? How do you determine what you believe? How do you perceive the world? A lot of people do it the family feud way. Hey, what do we think about marriage? Well, survey says. What do we think about money? Well, survey says. What do we think about sexuality? Well, survey says. So you could go through the world and just allow your values to be picked up by the flow of culture, what media has to say, um, and odds are your values would be pretty shallow and superficial. There is a better way. Romans 12 says it like this, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. And then you'll learn how, how to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. And so we're to renew our minds, and we do that as we encounter helpful information. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 says it like this, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. And we demolish arguments in every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we want to take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And so he says, we might have these imaginations and these fortress-like strongholds in our mind and our ways of thinking. But if we'll open ourselves up, to the Word of God, if we'll be receptive, our minds can be renewed, and we can have more and more of the mind of Christ. And if you want to know what Jesus himself thought of Scripture, in Matthew 5, he says this, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, 
Anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And so somebody says, in the church, why do you give so much attention to the Bible? And the short answer is, we're followers of Jesus. And Jesus gave great attention to the scriptures. He quoted the scriptures. He lived in the scriptures. He taught the scriptures. He said radical things like scripture cannot be broken. In other words, to paraphrase what Jesus says here in Matthew 5, don't think for one minute I came to throw out scripture. To the contrary, scripture will never fall from its place of importance. And so I ask again, how do you define what's good and evil? Just that little voice in your head or that big voice on TV? I submit to you the great authority is God and that God speaks to us. God reveals himself in creation. God reveals himself through our conscience but he reveals himself specifically through the inspired scriptures. And so the teaching of God's word has been absolutely foundational for the church. Absolutely foundational for the church. Again, just letting the Bible speak for itself. Here's Jesus out of Matthew 28. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Okay, we want to do that. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Okay, we want to do that too. And teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. You see, the teaching of God's Word has been absolutely foundational for the building of God's people. In Acts 2, a passage that actually is on a plaque right outside our worship center. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, that's not the only thing to which the early church was devoted. Also to fellowship. Fellowship's important. Breaking of bread, that's important. Prayer. But they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. And then this statement out of 2 Timothy 3. From infancy you've known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And all Scripture is God-breathed. Now, that's fascinating. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Scripture says and claims that its very thoughts are the thoughts of God. This is the very breath of God. Scripture is not God, but you meet him there. And God says, meet me here and hear my will. And get ready when you go to that class or that group or you listen to that sermon. From time to time, you'll be encouraged and you'll be built up. But sometimes you'll be challenged and you'll be convicted. And you'll hear something you don't agree with and maybe the teacher is off maybe you're off and have you given God permission 
to correct you, to challenge you, to even teach you. 2 Timothy chapter 4, the very next chapter says this, preach the word and be prepared in season and out of season. You correct, you rebuke, and you encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Why great patience? You've got to give people time to grow. (laughs) For the time will come, though, when people will not put up with sound doctrine. And instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. And so to every person who's a Bible teacher, whether you're teaching teens or children, my two-year-old granddaughter Millie and her friends, or 101-year-old Helene, everybody in between, your task is not to be novel and new. Your task is to be faithful to the Word of God. To preach and teach the Word of God in season and out out of season, even when it's not popular and especially when it may not be popular. So, I've got a question for you. How do I receive teaching in a helpful way? First of all, I encourage you to receive it with a repentant spirit, (laughs) with a spirit that's open and humble, and you're listening as a student, as a disciple, not as a consumer. And just sort of ask yourself, am I willing to place myself before the teaching of God's Word and allow it to judge me and change me? Don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that you you shouldn't be discerning, pay attention, you should be. But if you're going to benefit from teaching and preaching, The starting place is I'm willing to receive this with a repentant spirit because the purpose of teaching is not just to give you facts. It's not just to inform you. It's to transform you. There's a statement out of 1 Corinthians 8, and you know this to be true. Knowledge puffs up. Love builds up. And It's important to have knowledge. It's important to be informed. It's great to collect outlines either from here or other places. That's good to do. But the purpose of all that information is not just to puff us up, but to build us up so that we might in turn build up one another. You know, whenever there's teaching done, I've got three options. I could pass it on, you know, sit there and go, well, I'll tell you who really needs to hear this. I wonder if so-and-so's here because they sure need this. I could pass it on. I could shut it out. Or I could soak it up. And by soaking it up, it will build you up. Now, Andrew Wilson says this. Wherever Scripture challenges us or challenges some of our deeply held beliefs, as it often does, we have a choice. We can challenge the Bible or we can let the Bible challenge us. So listen, welcome it with a repentant spirit and then with a responsive spirit as well, with a responsive spirit. There's a section of Scripture that describes itself as a mirror. 
This is in James chapter 1. Describes itself as a mirror. Describes the Word of God. That's what it is. It's like a mirror. And who would look in a mirror and see something that needs to be corrected and then just walk away and not correct it? I mean, if you see something, you know, your shirt's unbuttoned, something like that, that needs to be corrected, you, co- you correct it. And, and, and the Bible is like that. When you read it or when you hear it, you discuss it in a group or a class, you hear it in a sermon, sometimes it'll point out something that needs to be corrected or adjusted. And it's not always a to-do list. It's not always something more you need to do. Something is, sometimes it's something you need to receive. You need to welcome afresh the grace of God. You need to welcome afresh the promise of the Holy Spirit. You need to welcome afresh God's promises to hear your prayers. That nothing is too big for him. Nothing is too small for him. And you need to receive that afresh. Um, have you noticed our new screens up here? Those new high-definition screens? Have you noticed those? You like those? I know you do. I mean, last week I had so many people come up to me and say, hey, Ronnie, we've got new screens up there. They're high definition. Um, so how do you like them? I said, well, I kind of like them, and I kind of don't like them. And the reason why I don't like them is that they reveal every blemish, every crease, every pimple, They magnify, it's kind of like I look up there and I think, yikes. (laughs) And sometimes when you read the Bible or you listen to certain sermons, you're going to go, yikes. But you make an adjustment. James 1.22 says, but don't just listen. Do what it says. Otherwise, you're just fooling yourself. So, God, what do you want me to do? That's our question whenever we listen to the Word of God. And for all of you who teach and for all of you who listen to teaching, every teacher should always, every Bible teacher should always make a beeline to the most important principles because the Bible has a topography. It's all true. But some truths are more important than others. And the most important truth in all of the Bible is that God's grace is for you. It's God doing for you what you could never do for yourself. It's God giving us what we need, not what we deserve, praise the Lord. And sometimes the Bible will convict us, but it will never just leave you down There's always hope. There's always an opportunity for a new day and a new moment. God gives you permission to stop beating yourself up and to receive freshness in the Holy Spirit. This morning, I'm walking around some of our Bible classes, and I believe it was our fourth grade Bible class. Stephanie and Carol were teaching. I just peeked in, was listening there, and they had written on the chalkboard, And they were going over it, over and over and over, and drilling home this wonderful truth. For the wages of sin is death. Uh Uh-oh. And that's true. But thankfully, it doesn't stop there. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God 
is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And they just kept going over and over and over that truth, just letting it wash over all of those young hearts and minds and souls. And then they would finish it, and they would all say again together. In fact, they would almost sing it, Romans 6, 23. Whenever you teach, make a beeline to the cross, to the resurrection, to grace, to hope. I want to close and tell you about Thomas Oden. Some of you know that name if you read some theology. Um, He wrote a book in 2014 called A Change of Heart. If you want to read something about, you hear the word deconstruction quite a bit, I encourage you to read Professor Oden's book, A Change of Heart. Now, he's recently passed away. Um, And his book tells the story of his upbringing in Oklahoma and how he, in his own words, went from a radical leftist to an orthodox theologian. How he embraced classic Christianity, apostolic, orthodox, biblical Christianity. He says when he first went into uh, teaching, became a a baby theologian, if you will, he says that he was in love with heresy. He says the biblical gospel was something just to be glossed over, and words like resurrection and atonement, he says he choked on those words. He had been obsessed with originality. What's something new I could contribute to theological thought? But if you read his book, he had a change of heart. The change of heart came about through a number of ways, but one way he had a colleague who said, I think you need to read and study the church fathers. He started doing that. And he started reading and studying the church fathers, church leaders in the second, third, and fourth centuries. And he said, it dawned on him that they were committed not to trying not to try and invent some new theological thought, but how can we keep the church faithful to its original intent. And Dr. Thomas Oden said that in his own life and in his teaching, he recaptured those classic Christian doctrines such as incarnation, the inspiration of the Bible, conversion through the Holy Spirit, and the promise of the resurrection. And on his tombstone... He wanted this phrase written. Are you ready? Here it is. Thomas Oden, date of birth, date of death, and then this phrase. He made no new contribution to theology. In other words, all I want to do is be faithful to the Word of God Be faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ and in that faithfulness to pass it along to the next generation. You know, my friends, here, you're not interested in my opinion. My opinion's really not worth sharing. Well, actually it is, but you're not really interested in my my opinion. Um, Occasionally, I'll give you a little Ronnieology along the way, but I'll tell you, this is my opinion. This is not book, chapter, and verse. But we want to be a church 
and we have. We decided a long time ago we're going to be rooted in the Scriptures. And that's why preaching and teaching is central. Not just any kind of preaching and teaching, but preaching and teaching rooted in the Bible. And to those of you in this church who teach whatever age, thank you for doing so. It's a great work. God bless you. For those of you who receive that teaching and it washes your soul. And some Sundays are going to be better than others. Some Wednesdays better than others. It's the cumulative effect over time. It's not one magic Sunday or one magic Wednesday. But that cumulative effect over time, God does a great work in you.